Unfortunately, the first few minutes of this message failed to record. The writer of Hebrews then, by contrast, brought up a lot of people whose lives showed their faith. Abraham went out, Noah built, Abel offered, Enoch walked with God, Moses refused to be called uh, the sons of, uh, of Pharaoh's daughter, and, and the list just went on. The, the writer of the Hebrews ran out of time talking about the others and, who subdued kingdoms and did all these things, and the verbs were everywhere. All of these things were things people did by faith. That is, they believed, and then their faith worked. Every single case that he brought up in Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of someone who showed their faith. That is, their works complemented their faith. And so that's the first question. Do our, do our works complement our faith? And the second one then we'll see today in James chapter 2 and verse 22, and that is, are our works cooperating with our faith? Do you see, verse 22, he says that faith was working together with his works. And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 22 and pick up that reading because the, the passage that uh, James is referring to here would have been well known to his Jewish audience. It should be well known to us, but maybe it's not. This was a time when God had said to Abraham, you take your son Isaac and you offer him on the altar as sacrifice to me. So they gathered up the materials for the sacrifice. They were ascending up on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, the place that's currently occupied by the temple in Jerusalem. Well, not exactly. <laughs> it's currently occupied uh, by the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim temple. But that is the site where the temple of Israel has stood for eons of time. You go to that mountain... But there was something very significant that happened because on their way, Isaac said, hey, we've got everything but a sacrifice. And you remember what Abraham said? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb. Abraham knew that God was up to something. He knew that there was something going on here and he was trusting in God to provide himself a substitute for Isaac. He, he knew, he believed God. He went up trusting. He, he knew, God knew. And sure enough, when Abraham was there, verse 16 says, uh, by, uh, chapter 22, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, and, um, back up, verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. James would comment on that and say it was at that point that Abraham's faith was fulfilled. God had promised that, or Abraham believed that God was going to provide himself for the lamb. Sure enough, at that point, he turned around and looked, and there was a ram caught by his, thorn, his horns in a thorn thicket. He had a crown of thorns upon his head. Years later, Jesus would talk about that event and say to a crowd of people, I don't have time to preach that sermon this morning. Uh, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and I was glad. 
When did Abraham see Jesus? He saw him when he saw that ram with a crown of thorns on his head. It's on that day. And he heard his voice because remember it was the angel of the Lord, the Jehovah angel. And that is the Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. That the Lord then through the angel would continue to speak to Abraham, verse 16. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. By myself I have sworn. God could swear by none greater, so he swore by himself. Paul would cite that also in the book of Galatians. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. get this down this morning. Abraham was not saved because he offered Isaac on the altar. Abraham offered Isaac on the altar because he was saved. God knew this. Abraham knew this. But the benefit of that event was that it was shown to everybody else in the world and written down for all time so that all these many centuries later we can go back and read exactly what Abraham did and exactly what God said in response. He reaffirmed that covenant that he had made to him long ago because on this day he was obedient he believed God. He was obedient. He did what God told him to do. And thus he puts down for us in Scripture this incredible picture of our Lord Jesus. Now, As the writer of the book of Hebrews gave us a great example of how faith and works uh, are complementary, so he also gives us a great example of how faith and works are complementary in this passage how they are cooperative by way of contrast in a way. Hebrews chapter 3. Now with whom was he, and that's God, angry for 40 years? He goes back to that wilderness wondering, was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Say it. Unbelief. Unbelief. Now let's remember that two of the ones who died in the wilderness, who didn't make it to the promised land because of unbelief, was a guy named Moses and his brother Aaron. They died in the wilderness. Now when somebody dies, we always want to know what was the cause of death. But in the case of Moses, the Bible is very careful to point out to us that Moses did not die of old age. His eye was not dim. His natural force was not abated. He didn't get sick and die of cancer or heart attack. Uh, Moses died. What was the cause of death? Well, the Bible tells us exactly what it was in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 11. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me 
to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Moses and Aaron died of unbelief. Now again, we ought to know this, but just in case we don't, let's remember the story. God had said to Moses on one occasion, uh, there's a rock, you take the rod and you smite the rock and the water that the children of Israel need will come flowing out of that rock. Paul would talk about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and he would tell us emphatically that that rock was Christ. That is not literally Christ. It was a picture of Christ. It represented Christ. Just like what Abraham was doing on Mount Moriah when he offered up Isaac. That was a picture of Christ when he saw that lamb with the crown of thorns upon his head. The whole scene was designed to give us a beautiful picture of Christ. And Abraham was obedient. And the scripture was shown to be true. And God gave him a great promise. And God gave assurance then to Abraham and to everyone else. But here's Moses in a similar scene where God said, you smite the rock the first time. And the second time he was to do what? He was to speak to the rock. That is, he was going to ask it, please, can we have some water? I was going to speak to it. We need to, we need to drink rock. That was why, what a picture that is of how Christ was once smitten on the cross for your sins and mine. And what do we do? We approach Him then and ask Him that Christ wasn't going to be smitten twice. Moses got mad. He did. He was angry. You read over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, and Moses, in typical human fashion, is going to blame the children of Israel for what happened to him. He said, it's all your fault because you all made me mad. But it wasn't their fault. God didn't buy a bit of that. that. He said, no, Moses, your problem was unbelief. You didn't believe me, and therefore you didn't hallow me. And because of that, Moses died in the wilderness in unbelief. Now the question is, as we apply this and we get back to the book of James and what James says, bringing up these examples, and we're talking about how faith cooperate, how our works cooperate with our faith for our justification. The question you see is for us this morning. We've established the cause of death in Moses' life. Moses didn't die from cancer, not a heart attack, didn't die from old age. Moses died from unbelief. The question is, did Moses go to hell? And almost to ask that question is to answer it, of course not. But just so you understand that it's not just my logic that says, of course, Moses didn't go to hell. Let's understand Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. This was on the mountain of transfiguration. And there were a couple of Old Testament guys who showed up there talking to Jesus. And wouldn't you have loved to have listened into that conversation? Moses, Elijah... And Jesus having to talk up on the mountain of transfiguration. No, Moses didn't go to hell. Of course not. But he died in unbelief in the wilderness. 
You see, Abraham believed God and he was obedient to God. And because of that, his faith was revealed. And it gave a beautiful depiction of Jesus Christ. Moses had the same opportunity. But instead of being obedient, he was disobedient. And he ended up spending the rest of his life in the wilderness. And the picture, though still real, though that picture was marred. And so the question for us today is, do our works, uh, are our works cooperating with our faith in to reveal Christ to the world? Or do our works, in fact, then serve to conceal our faith? So that anybody who would look at the life that I'm living and the way that I'm acting, they wouldn't see Jesus in that at all. See, that's a big question. And so when James is talking about how that our faith cooperates with our, uh, with our works, and, and uh, in fact, our faith is fulfilled by our works, and so much to say that he would even bring in justification, but not before God. But justification before everybody else. As our life then is shown to belong to Jesus Christ, and we show him. And so we got that question, number one, is our, is our faith or our works complement our faith or do they contradict our faith? Number two, are our works cooperating our faith to reveal Christ or are they concealing our faith? And the last question we'll ask is this. Do our works correspond to our faith? Verse 14 James says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of them says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So this is another application to this passage besides showing us whether our faith is living or dead. And James associates it with what Jesus called our daily bread. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? He said what? Get pray like this. And one of the things he said to pray was, give us this day our daily bread. That is, that's our way of saying, God, provide with me with my daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and so, uh, uh, does that mean that we are to uh, go over here and, and sit down at the table, uh, put a napkin in? Man, I should have brought a napkin. Got a plate and a fork. Sit there. Somebody says, what are you doing? I'm believing God. I'm trusting God. For my food, I'm, I'm here. I believe in God. I'm, I'm, I've got faith. I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm believing God. Circle back by a few hours later, and you're maybe still sitting there. What are you doing? Well, I'm believing God. You and I know something. If you adapt that kind of mindset, you can sit there and starve to death. 
telling yourself all the while that you're believing God for your daily bread. I don't mean to minimize how important for us to obey, how important it is for us to obey what Jesus said. When we pray to God, give us this day our daily bread, that is our way of acknowledging that God is supplying our needs. But then we add another great passage to that, which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, where Paul said, Even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And so the fact that I am praying for God then to supply me with my daily needs does not mean that I just sit down and do nothing and wait for God to provide this for me. Instead, the Bible teaches the principle of work. There was a time when God gave the children of Israel something they called manna. You know what manna means? What is it? That's what it means in Hebrew. What's this? What is it? But even then they were required to gather it. And then they made light bread from it, they called it. Light bread. And then they had to sit down and, and, and eat it. Yeah, I mean, eat it. So... What I, my point being that there is a corresponding work that goes along with believing God for our daily needs. There is a corresponding work that goes with that. And that is we believe God, yes, and then we go to work. And we make a living, we buy our food, we prepare it, or we go out to eat and let them do it for us. Amen? Hey, I'm big on that. I believe in that. Practice that. But we pray then before we eat, and what do we say? Thank you, God, for your provisions for me and your blessings on me. There's a work then that corresponds to our faith. Let me give you another couple of quick examples. Here's a woman that has an unsaved husband. If you ask her what she's doing, she'll say, I'm believing God for my husband's salvation. I'm trusting God that my husband is going to be saved. If you ask her what she's doing, then that's, that's what she's going to respond. Well, I'm having faith. I'm believing God. Isn't it interesting that we have a scripture about that exact situation? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, a, a believing wife with an unbelieving husband, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. He'll conclude then in verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. You see, there is a corresponding work that goes along with saying, I'm believing God for my husband's salvation. And that corresponding work then is very clearly outlined for us in Scripture. It is not the wife who hounds her husband constantly, who is constantly berating him and belittling him and demanding uh, that he listen to everything. It's not constantly then trying to preach at him and harp at him. But instead, this is what you do. 
He said, you adorn yourself with compassion. You adorn yourself with good works. You adorn yourself with a chaste that is an honest and upright conversation. You show your husband, who is an unbeliever, your submission to God and submission to Him. Do you understand there is a corresponding work that fits with that faith? I'm believing God for my husband's salvation. Well, there's a work that goes with that. One more example that we're done and we're done. Even when it comes to our salvation, that is believing in Christ so that we might be saved, there is a corresponding work to salvation that the Bible enjoins upon us, and that is baptism. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto that word is an antitype or a corresponding truth. It is a corresponding, but it's one by contrast, uh, Noah and his family were saved by being kept out of the water. Uh, but this is an antitype of that. And he talks about how baptism, us being put into the water, does now save us, not the putting away of the flesh, but notice it is the answer, the answer of a good conscience toward God. I'm going to explain this. a highly controverted passage. I know that, and I hesitated to bring it up to you, but I, I help, hope that I can explain it to you very clearly. When the Bible says that baptism is the answer of a good conscience, there has to be a good conscience. And then baptism is the answer, the response, the corresponding work, if you will, that goes along with that good conscience, that good conscience that the Bible tells us over and over again is created by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent, we trust in Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Over and over again, hundreds of passages of Scripture talk about that. But there is a corresponding work. If you have a good conscience toward God, if you've been saved, then the answer for that, the corresponding work to that is baptism. And baptism doesn't save anybody. It's not going to make you saved her. And thank God nobody is the savedest. I've said that a lot of times. But, but I'll tell you this much. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. And if you've been saved then as a believer, then you need to go through the waters of baptism if you haven't. You say, well, I did that when I was a baby. That's not what I'm, or I did that when I was a little child. Or I'm asking you, have you been baptized as a believer in Christ? If you've received Christ as your Savior and you know you've been saved, then the answer for that, the corresponding work to that is baptism. And when we put somebody in baptism, what are we doing but showing a marvelous picture of Jesus Christ and His death and burial and resurrection? And we are proclaiming Him. We are showing Him and identifying ourselves with Him by baptism as a believer. 
You remember when Philip was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch and the eunuch said, here's a lot of water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip basically said nothing. <laughs> if you believe, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can. And that one scripture is all I need to explain to me the validity of this long-held belief by multitudes of Christians throughout all our generations. And we believe it because it's the truth. And that is the truth of believer's baptism. That is that you must be a believer in Christ before you can experience Christian baptism. You have to be. And if you were baptized at some point in your life, but you have to look at yourself and you say, you know, I wasn't saved then. I'm not going to tell you you need to be baptized again. I'm going to tell you you need to be baptized. All you did when you got in the tank and went under the water when you weren't saved, all you did was get wet. It's time for you to be baptized as a believer in Christ because that is the answer, 1 Peter chapter 3, of a good conscience toward God. That is how faith and works correspond. There is a corresponding work that goes without faith. That's why faith, James would say so emphatically, that faith without works is dead being alone. There has to be that corresponding work in order for it to be seen. So wrapping up, James wrote to a group of people who were like himself. They grew up believing in God and maybe even knowing who Jesus was, but they had never trusted him as their Savior James had to confront that. He had to prove to them because they were the worst kind of lost people that exist, and that's religiously lost people. And he had to convince them that their faith was not valid, and he did that by telling them, showing them so powerfully that their faith did not complement, was not complemented by their works. It was contradicted by their works. That their faith was not cooperating with their works to show Jesus. Their, faith, their works, in fact, were concealing their faith. By showing then that their faith was, their works were not corresponding to their faith because they had not followed through. Ask any bowler about the follow through. You'll like this. Isn't that picture perfect? I'm telling you. <laughs> Ask a golfer, any golfer, about the follow through. You're gonna. This is great. <clears throat> follow through. Ask a pitcher about the follow through. I could go on, but y'all have seen enough of my athletic prowess now this morning. I <laughs> think I can move along. Follow through is big. Ask any athlete involved in anything relating to a ball, and they'll tell you there's a follow-through, and it's important. And the follow-through to our faith is our works. Follow-through. Follow-through. Are our works in complementary to our faith or contradictory? Are our works cooperating with our faith and revealing Jesus or concealing our faith? Our works corresponding to our faith with the follow-through of obedience. Some years ago, I listened. I was driving down the road, and I listened to a guy named Guy. <laughs> guy Dowd. It was on focus on the family. 
He had been named Teacher of the Year back in 1986. That tells you this is right after that had happened. Uh, President Ronald Reagan gave him a meeting at the White House. Uh, I did not know much about him then. I don't know much about him now. Although he presented himself as a believer and has been very active in uh, motivational speaking world. In the message, he was addressing what he saw as a teacher at school from the students and from sometimes the teachers and other leaders with what he saw at church. And he described how that a lot of the students that he saw at church as leaders of their youth group and very active at church, but he said he would see them at school and he couldn't see any of that. And he made a remark that I've never forgotten. When they go to school, he said, they must be working undercover. They've gone incognito. When our life or our works become a contradiction to our faith, it's a serious thing. Remember, Moses died from unbelief. It didn't mean he was lost, but it means that his works were not matching up with what he believed. And because of that, he wasn't showing Jesus. I want to be on the side of Abraham, and I know you do too, so that my works are able to show Jesus before a watching world. Let's stand together.